we're recording. Laura, Woo-hoo. thank you so much for being on the podcast with me today. I'm excited. Me too. I love this topic. Yes. So, and I definitely feel like I became one of those people. Like I had a kid and I was like, I'm not going to be one of those people who just talks about it all the time. And like, here we are. But, you know, <laughs> I mean, listen, when something is this transformative and, and just yeah. crazy, like it's an epic thing that is happening to you. You can't help but have some feelings and thoughts and want to share those things. So, mm-hmm. um, and you know, with the podcast now being m- more directly for women and women's health, um, this is a massive part of women's health. I read somewhere, I don't know if you have read this or if this is accurate at all. You know, you read something on the internet and it's like, mm. sure. but I read somewhere <laughs> that like 85% of women will have a baby, not just get pregnant, have a baby in their life, which seems really, seems high to me, but maybe not. I don't know. Um, does that sound right to you? I don't know. That sounds like a very high number. I think that, no, I mean, I think that's probably about right. That number may be going down though, yeah. which yeah. is kind of why it sounds to you to be high because yeah. we're finding more and more women putting off pregnancy later in life for multiple reasons. There's also health concerns. The number of women I know that can't get pregnant um, for a number of reasons. And maybe we can, not that I'm a doctor, but maybe we can dive into some of the things that I'm noticing about women that are having a hard time. Yeah. Um, But But for that reason, I think that number might go down whether we want it to or not. But I think it goes back to this idea. And we talked about this on your podcast and we'll back up and and talk about who you are in a second. But like we talked about this on your podcast with the the program that we all sort of put together for Primal Mm -hmm. Health Coach Institute, the program that I did, where we still sort of in the fitness world consider like women's issues to be like specialty issues. And then like, let's take a step back and realize that half the world is female and a vast majority of those females have a baby. That's a massive portion of humanity that requires support and information and resources that maybe Mm -hmm. they aren't getting, right? So, you know, I always think like, oh, are people gonna wanna hear this? Are people gonna want, yeah. There's a lot of people who want to hear this stuff. So anyway, let's back up. Laura, please just tell the audience a little bit about who you are and what you do. And then we'll kind of talk more baby stuff. Yeah. So I'm a health coach. Anytime someone asks me, what do you do? It's that simple. I'm a health coach, which of course, the next question is, what's that? (laughs) What does that mean? Are you a nutritionist? Are you a personal trainer? And then I have to kind of explain how health coaching in many ways, at least how I do it encompasses those things. But health coaching is more of an umbrella term for someone who helps facilitate a desired health outcome, a positive change for someone. That's what I do. And I, there's multiple tools in my toolbox. Nutrition is one of them. Exercise is one of them. So, and I started down this path because, and again, same old story as I hear from many people that go this road. I had my own health transformation, you know, I, was in a very type A, very stressful, not a whole lot of women in it kind of a career for over 20 years. Um, And because I was one of very few women, of course, had a bit of a chip on my shoulder about needing to feel, somehow feel as though I deserved to be there, Mm. you know? So of course I had to work harder. I had to be more successful, but I fell into this trap of, um, needing to present this image of being fit and healthy and attractive, you know, I was in sales. That's a component a lot of times, especially for women. So I dieted and exercised my way into illness while mm-hmm. overworking, overtraining. It's the same old story. Yeah. We've all been anyway, there. 
Yeah. Went to multiple doctors. This is another thing I'm hearing all the time. I went to multiple doctors who all told me, um, first of all, it was either there's nothing wrong with you or it's yet another sinus infection or yet another bout of like pneumonia. Hello. It's not normal for people to have these. No. Anyway, I finally founded more of a naturopathic functional medicine practitioner who embraced working with me instead of just telling me what to do. And Mm -hmm. we got well together. I got well with him and and he supported me in that. And that's, that's kind of the impetus of my, the direction I wanted to go in, in health coaching. But anyway, about, it took about five years really for me to decide that this was a passion I wanted to lean into, take my first course, bring on my first couple clients as a side hustle. Cause you know, I wasn't going to do it a full time. That's crazy mm-hmm. until I realized. And and the reason I realized is because other people were telling me, yeah. you need to do this full time. Somehow I needed that validation and finally decided to take the steps I needed to take to get out of that career that was in finance and into health and wellness and fitness full time. I owned a gym for a number of years, but then the Primal Health Coach Institute um, was looking for someone to fill a certain role within it's because we had to, they had developed this course, which I took, I had taken the course originally, but they wanted to expand it. They wanted it to be more than just a content expert cert. They wanted it to be a full coaching cert. They needed to build a staff and they had this sort of in a perfect world. Here's the candidate for this role. And I literally checked every box. Literally, it was like, they should have just put my picture up there. Like nice. a wanted poster, <laughs> you know? Um, so I'm like, I, I told my husband, I'm like, oh, man, where was this job like three years ago? Because I totally would have applied for it. And I kept coming back to it. And once again, it was my husband pushing me, someone else pushing me, mm. just apply. And I'm like, but, you know, we've got the gym. I've got all this other stuff. He's like, you got to get the job first. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we don't have a problem yet. You got to get the job first and then we'll figure the rest out. And so I got the job. And so not only do I still have my own private practice, not only am I still firmly rooted in fitness because I love it, but I'm also a staff coach at the Primal Health Coach Institute. I act as the admissions director for that course as well, talking to people who are curious about health coaching and if this is a good fit. And I'm the co-host of our podcast, Health Coach Radio. Yes. And I was on that podcast recently with you and Aaron, which I always love and enjoy. And we were talking about the program the course that I recently created with and for you guys, Strength Training for Women. And part of that conversation, I'll link that episode in the show notes so people can check it out. But part of that conversation was talking about, you know, how little women-focused resources and and research and data is involved in strength training programs for women Mm -hmm. and how it seems like this revolutionary thing to talk about things like pelvic health and you know, yeah. right? Like it's, it's nuts that that is still something that most people don't know about or talk about, um, when it comes to women's health and wellness. But in the course of that conversation, you know, I was talking about my, you know, I had a baby a year ago and you said that you had twins and I was like, okay, I want to hear everything because that's another thing I've, even before I had a kid and even before I wanted a kid, I was obsessed with people's like birth stories. I just, because it is like the most insane like gnarly thing a human being can do is grow and birth other people. That's just nuts. Like how we all walk through life, just thinking that that's like, it is normal, but it's just the most insane thing in the world. And I just, I have so much 
respect and awe and just interest in people's stories and, and their experiences and how they feel about their experiences. So I was like, okay, Laura, you got to come on my podcast and just like talk to me about this because twins. Oh my God. Um, yeah. So I don't know. You probably can't encapsulate that experience in a few minutes, but like, can you talk to me a little bit about, about it? And we'll just yeah. kind of like, I can ask you questions or we can kind of go in yeah. whatever direction based on that. Well, it's probably helpful to compare and contrast because I'm a, a bit of a unique situation where I had single babies in my twenties. So this is, I'm in my second marriage. I'm now 51, right? I was married at the ripe old age of 24, the age my son is now. And I'm like, oh my God, I can't even, what? Do it. <laughs> Holy cow. So I was young, right? Yeah. But I wasn't, it's not like I was 18, but whatever. Yeah. So I had two children while in my twenties with my first marriage, single babies. And my experience was very typical, the whole like cravings, the joking around about overeat. Hey, I'm eating for two. I gained about 80 pounds with each single baby. Took me about a year to take it off um, on, with both babies. And to be fair, I probably didn't really take it all off until I, I got more serious about it. But the general paradigm there in terms of nutrition while you're pregnant was really not a whole lot different than the standard food pyramid, mm -hmm. but there seems to be, and there probably still is this general acceptance about how it's okay to completely eat garbage because you've got these cravings and you're supporting babies and what have you. So, um, I had both natural, natural births with both of them, um, that, you know, everybody loves telling their birth story, but honestly, I'm not going to bore you with that. It's, they were normal sort of vaginal births. I had the normal issues all moms have with their first baby about trying to nurse my child and why that doesn't feel completely natural. Anyone that tells you, oh, it's completely natural. And if you can't figure it out within the first 10 minutes, you're a bad mom. F you. Sorry. No, it's no. weird. Some no. parasite is sucking on your nipple. It feels strange. Yes. Right. And the Right. Babies know how to suck and your breasts know what to do. But trying to make those things work together when you've never done it is weird. Mm -hmm. It feels once you like anything else, once you've done it a couple of times, once you've kind of been like, that's how it works. Now, like anything else, it's like putting in reps, like anything mm -hmm. else, right? Mm -hmm. You get better at it and what have you. I, and I do have some opinions on nursing, breastfeeding, the role of formula. I hate back in the day, human beings were tribal beings. If a mother could not breastfeed her child in any one moment, guess what? There was probably 10 other women that were currently breastfeeding their children that breastfed that baby for you, right? So the whole notion of a mom suffering from anxiety, depression, and baby blues because they're stuck in a house all by themselves mm -hmm. with this little person who to all... For all intents and purposes, you're a milk machine, right? Mm -hmm. That you're trying to build this connection with this child and you're fumbling around trying to learn how to nurse and what's wrong with me. I'm a bad mom. This is all natural. Mm -mm. Not in these circumstances, not in this environment. Yeah. We human beings, mothers did not rear children in this environment for eons. It's really just the last hundred years that we were stuck mm -hmm. in these little boxes doing anyway. I'm on my soapbox. Mm -hmm. So there's that. So I, I had a, what I would consider to be a pretty like standard or common trajectory with my first two babies. And then I was a single mom for about 10 years with these, with these two kids. That's when I kind of went more, more of an ancestral lifestyle in the middle of that. That's a whole other story, trying to change the dietary habits of a 10 and an eight year old when I'm divorced with a father who's got a pizza and chicken nugget palate. Oh right. God. So anyway, I find myself remarried with a tremendously supportive husband that I met at the gym. 
Um, and he's nine years younger than me. Didn't have children of his own. He asked me to marry him. And I'm like, and and one of the things we talked about was kids. And what I said to him before we were ever dating is, look, if, if I love someone enough to marry him and he wants children, I better be willing to give it a try, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and so I held true to that. And I just said, look, I'm in my 40s. I was 42 at the time. We can pull the goalie, right? I was going to go off my birth control and we'll just see what happens. And in the, literally in the back of my mind, Ashley, I'm like, these are 42-year-old eggs. I'm mm-hmm. not getting pregnant, mm-hmm. okay? But we'll have some fun trying. Mm-hmm. I was pregnant within a month, mm. okay? That ancestral diet probably didn't hurt. Oh, oh my God. Well, <laughs> we'll talk about that. I, I do fundamentally believe that a nutrient-dense whole food diet with adequate protein, ample healthy fats, and the right dose of natural carbohydrates is the fertility diet. It's the it's the number, it's the human diet. And that's how people get pregnant because mm-hmm. we're humans and it supports mm-hmm. our hormones. Mm-hmm. But I found myself pregnant within a month. My husband's over the moon. I'm shell-shocked. I'm, and I have to tell my children, my older children, they're like, this is weird. Like my 15 and 12 year old daughter who were 16 and 13 when the girls were born are like, this is weird. So you do know? you have four but daughters? I have three daughters and a son. Okay. Okay. Amazing. Yeah. Right. Matthew is my oldest. Mia. Okay. Uh, so he's 24 now. Mia's 21 okay. and my twins are now um, eight. Okay. But um, we go to the first doctor's appointment. My husband is all excited and he's at the doctor's appointment with me. We're going to have this ultrasound, which I didn't with my first two back in the day. That wasn't a standard of care. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. They only did ultrasounds if something was funky. Mm -hmm. Now they do it all the time because they want to see the heartbeat early. So we're in there. And the doctor's do 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 the little jelly and she's looking around and she's looking a little confused and she's flipping through my chart. And she's like, well, we didn't do fertility drugs, right? or anything. She was looking and I'm like, no, no. Why do you ask? And my husband is looking at the thing and he internally knew we saw these two little blinking fur balls on the screen. And she said, well, congratulations, mom and dad. It looks like you have twins. My husband's crying. He's so happy. (laughs) You know, I am like a deer in headlights. Oh my gosh. Are you kidding me? I've had two single babies. I know how hard single babies are. I can't even imagine what twins are going to be like. I called my mom, panicked. She talks me off the ledge. She's like, look, honey, for all intents and purposes, this pregnancy would have been a one and done. Mm -hmm. This baby would have been, for all intents and purposes, a a, uh, just, you know, essentially an only child because Matt and me are so much older. So it's good. It's good. These babies will have each other now. You only, you're only going to do this once. And I'm like, yeah, I guess you're right. You know, and I finally calmed down. So here I am now in my 40s, pregnant with twins on a job that has me on the road every day, mm. high stress. Um, I had my gym, so I was coaching. Like, it was just, it was madness. <laughs> it was madness. Actually, I take that back. I didn't have my gym yet. I was still just at CrossFit and um, taking classes and things like that. So, you know, over time I had to adjust my training and stuff, but here I am now a woman in my forties trying to have a healthy pregnancy with twins. Okay. All right. How Where did do you it go from there? <laughs> it's so funny though, because, you know, I was, I, I think they're getting a little bit away from that. Like immediately you're 35 and over a geriatric pregnancy thing. Like, yes, you know, 40 and up, like there's some special considerations, whatever, but it's, I think it's a little bit less like, oh, you're 36 old lady. Let's put you, make sure you're keep your feet up. I think it's a little less like that. 
I was, you know, an old lady getting mm-hmm. pregnant too. I was, I think I was, I was either 36 or 37. I can't do the math anyway, not, mm-hmm. not super young. Um, and I was fortunate because I had like a midwife and they just weren't about that. They weren't like, Oh, cause mm-hmm. you're old, do this, do that. So I really right. didn't have much of that experience, but like for you, how different, and you, I guess you have so much more knowledge now because the, the yeah. nutrition side of things, but I mean, it's twice the work. Like people were telling me because I was a little bit older, they're like, Hey, hope you don't have twins. Cause you know, it's more likely, right. As you get older right. to have twins. Right. It's- found that out after the fact. <laughs> right. I, I, I feel like it was on some show. I saw the joke was like, your, your, your uterus is like a going out of business sale or something. Just throwing those eggs out. <laughs> like exactly. seeing, seeing who catches it. Right. Exactly. But- but people kept joking with me like, oh, you might have twins. I bet you maybe you're going to have two because we do actually have some twins in the family somewhere. And I was like, do not put that on me because the idea of trying to deal with two tiny babies, like the idea of one was so intense for me. How did you, how was it different? The pregnancy, like, were you twice as tired? Did you have twice as much sort of nausea? And when they're kicking the crap out of you from the inside, yes. was that twice as bad? Like, is it that different? I was twice as big. So I was more uncomfortable and you do have, so in my case, these were fraternal twins and I had two placentas kicking out twice the hormones. Okay. However, from the standpoint of how I felt energy wise, all that stuff in in the beginning until I just got enormous, I'll have to send you a picture of how big my belly was so that you can put it in the show notes. I was enormous. I looked like a flounder, like from the, from the front and back. I really, again, this time around, I just to contrast that, I told you I had gained about 80 pounds with each single baby. With my twins, I gained 50. Right. Because hmm. I was eating very differently. My lifestyle was different. We can talk about that. Mm-hmm. But from the side, I was stuck straight out. I had this huge belly. But from the front and back, I looked pretty normal. You know, it's like it wasn't until I turned to the side that people were like, holy cow, you're huge, you know. And I remember being at my son's kind of basketball games. And I still had like three or four months to go. And people were like, you haven't had that baby yet? That's how big I was because I'm small, too. I'm like only five, two. I don't have a large torso. So, I mean, I again, my third pregnancy, ladies listening, you will show sooner with your later pregnancies. That's typically how that works because your body's like, oh, here we go. We're doing this again. You know, things are a little more relaxed. And so you show a lot sooner. Mm-hmm with your second and third and and requisite pregnancies. But so um, the protocols that she put me through, there were some additional tests we took. Um, And here's what I'll tell you with my first two babies, even though I was eating a crappy diet, I took that that glucose tolerance test, that oral glucose tolerance test. I passed both perfectly fine with my first two. Mm -hmm. With this one, with my pregnancies, I failed it both times. I took the first one, didn't pass it. She made me do the second one, the follow-up one, didn't pass it. And I was indignant. I'm like, I am not diabetic. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So looking back now, I know that I haven't had a large bolus of glucose in any one sitting for like 10 years. Okay. So I know for my body's like, what the hell was that? Did you just give me? Right. What we know now about how the body works is if your body, your body's downregulate and upregulate certain systems based on the need at the time, our bodies are very efficient. So I hadn't had the need to for my insulin, my pancreas to perform that way for any one time in years. Looking back now, what I would have done was a week or so in advance, I would have added more carbohydrate to my diet just to get a better feel of how my body was tolerating carbohydrates under normal conditions. 
outside of that, right? Can I just add something here? Because I don't Mm. think I did a whole podcast episode about my pregnancy and I don't think I talked about this and I just want to add, add a story to yours so that people who are listening can get a bit more perspective on this particular thing, this glucose test thing, Mm -hmm. because it sucks and it's gross. And I understand like the reason in some cases why this stuff is necessary, right? Because if you are diabetic, if you do have severe gestational diabetes, that can be a really, um, an issue and a challenge you have to manage. However, as you said, people who eat healthy diets, low processed food diets, low sugar diets, paleo ancestral, we are not drinking a 50 grams of glucose regularly. And there are a lot of people in the world who are doing that, who are eating primarily carbs, primarily sugar. Their bodies are used to this kind of behavior. Right. Mm -hmm. And when I did this glucose test, I failed it and I felt really shitty. Yeah. And it's funny because even then with all the stuff that I know, I was like, I'm healthy. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm gaining weight, perfectly healthy. I feel good. I'm working out. I'm eating healthy. I failed this thing. Do I have gestational diabetes? Like what, what's going on here? And what I did, and again, this is, you know, you got to work with your care provider. You got to do what you're comfortable with. But I, I, one of the good things I think about being an old lady air quotes here pregnant is that I felt very comfortable advocating for myself, asking questions and talking. And so when I failed it and they said, come back in and you're going to drink even more. And we're going to take your blood three times. And you're going to sit here for four hours. I said, Mm -hmm. you know what we're going to do instead? I'm going to go buy one of those, um, diabetes, like the blood check, blood sugar check things, which is what they would have told me to do as a protocol anyway. And I said, I'm going to show you that my blood sugar doesn't do that anytime because I don't Mm -hmm. eat that much sugar. I don't do that to my body so that you can see that I am managing how I'm Mm -hmm. eating and my blood sugar and everything's healthy because I'm not doing that again. It was gross. I don't want Mm -hmm. to, and it doesn't make me feel better. And it's, I'm not, I'm not pre I'm not diabetic. So they were like, okay, like they can't force me to go in and drink that garbage again. And so, and, and, you know, a lot of people wouldn't necessarily want to go that route. Like I didn't love pricking my finger and checking my blood every couple, but I did it for a couple of weeks and I sent the results to my midwife. I said, this is how I eat. And this is how I'm responding. And she said, great. And I moved on with my life, but it wasn't, it wasn't a fun experience. And I understand how many, how people can feel, especially because women, we have this, like, am I doing something wrong? Is this going to harm my baby? Is this, you know, we're, we're primed to feel fear and guilt over this kind of stuff. And I felt it like when they told me you failed this test, you got to come back in. I was like, what, (laughs) what did I do wrong? What did I do wrong? When really not doing that, like not eating that way is what I was doing. And so my body very naturally was like, what the hell are you doing? I'm not going to react well to this. I think people need to pay attention to that. But the story anyway, the moral of that story, I think too, is like, obviously our bodies aren't meant to to eat like that. And if you aren't eating like that, that's okay. But also you have options. You always have options. You don't have to do things that don't feel right or healthy for you. And like, if you are working with a doctor or a midwife that um, you like, and that is good and that cares about you, hopefully there will be other options that you can negotiate Mm. that feel better for you. You know, I mean, I I don't know why they don't just pull like a series of A1C and just kind of see your blood sugar regulation longer term instead of this ridiculous sort of sugar stress test. I guess because it's easy and they've always done it. And it's like, whatever. So, you know, anyway, I I was pissed off actually. And I talked to my dog. I'm like, I reject that diagnosis. I'm not just, you know, and she's like, look, no one's calling you a bad name. Please accept the fact that you're over the age of 40 and you have 
multiples with two, you know, so she's trying to tell me your hormones are different now because you've got these two blood, you know, please just humor me. It is at my job as your doctor to work with you to keep those babies inside and healthy. So humor me. I'm like, all right, fine. So she sent me to this specialist because I was over 40 and having multiple. So I got far more ultrasounds than anyone normally has. But the other thing I had to do was to go see the dietitian to talk about my gestational diabetes diet. And so I went and sat down with her. And so I used this story to illustrate the difference between a dietitian and a health coach. I sat down with her. She was very nice. Congratulations on your babies, blah, blah, blah. How's everything at home? Good. And she gave me a placemat, a paper placemat with a plate on it that looks like a serving and how much of my plate should be this, this, or this. And essentially what was on that plate was a bunch of whole grains, a tiny itty bitty piece of meat, very low, lots of low fat dairy, like low fat um, milk and some fruit and water. Um, And this is the gestational diabetes diet. She never once asked me about how I normally ate. She never once asked me if I had questions about my diagnosis and what that might mean for me and my baby. Um, She just sort of gave me a gestational diabetes diet and asked me if I had questions. So I said, I actually do. I have a lot of questions. And I said, "Is, is this literally the diet you give to diabetics? This is what you tell diabetics they should be eating. And she kind of gave me this blank stare, like, you know, what do you mean? And I said, if I ate that way, I would be diabetic. Mm -hmm. The amount of carbohydrates I see in this serving, this is a meal. I would be diabetic in a heart rate. I'm like, so you've got these whole grains, pasta, you've got fruit over here, you've got fat-free milk. That's probably about 50 grams of carbohydrate right there. That's the test I just failed. Yeah. You know, and she was really quiet. And I go, so you didn't ask me, but I'm going to tell you about how I normally eat. And I told her what my breakfast was like, my lunch, my dinner. And what she said is, it sounds to me like you're eating more of a paleo diet. I go, yeah, it's my version of a paleo diet. And she said, honestly, that works too. I wouldn't change a thing. You know, and I said, so why are you telling you me, me this a, why, why would you why would you intentionally give me a suboptimal diet if the way I'm eating is actually better? Because she did say that. That's a better diet. And what she said was, you have to understand the typical woman who comes to me with gestational diabetes. I'm trying to get them off the big gulps. If I turn around and tell them they have to eat meat and veg. Yeah. Right. Um, and they can't have pasta or they can't have this. I've, I've lost them. You know, and she said, and to be honest, this is the protocol within this system that I have to give you. So the other thing they wanted me to do was what you did, which was perk my finger. And I'm like, they wanted me to do it when I first woke up after every meal and then before I went to bed. So I did that. I humored them for two weeks. And all I kept getting is, wow, what great blood sugar control. You're doing such a great job, blah, blah, blah. So finally, I'm like, no, no, okay. So I'm going to talk to the doctor, not the nurse. Please have the doctor call me. And I explained to her my theory on what happened here. And I said, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm just, can we all agree that the way I normally eat on a regular basis is keeping my blood sugar under control. Why do I have to continue to prick my finger? And so she said, all right, I'll make you a deal. Prick your finger once a day 
and change it up. Sometimes it's when you first wake up mm-hmm. in the morning. Sometimes it's at night. Sometimes it's after a meal. Let's just make sure things are still trending the right way. And I said, okay, deal. So we did it that way. But I just want like all women listening to understand that, you know, the problem with a lot of the standard of care and the protocols here are based on a population wide. This is pub- this is a problem with public health population wide. And they are catering to averages, which, by the way, is skewed every 10 years because the population gets sicker. Mm-hmm. every 10 years, mm-hmm. right? So it's it's working with a provider and to your point, advocating for yourself about just internally and your gut feeling on what you know is true for you mm-hmm. and stand yeah. up for yourself. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. Um, I, I want to pivot a little bit to another big sort of pregnancy and postpartum nutrition thing that comes up yeah. a lot. Um, and it, even in general, there's this sort of idea of like intuitive eating versus tracking and paying attention, right? And mm-hmm. we, there's these two camps and we could go forever on both sides of this argument and debate, whatever. However, I'd like to hear your thoughts on how you managed cravings. If you had them hunger, you know, the increased requirement for food, if you were feeling kind of crappy, like I, I personally took quite an intuitive approach because I knew that I was gaining weight normally and I felt good. And I was not about to track on my phone, how many calories I was eating during pregnancy. That is, I am not about that life at all. Mm -hmm. However, I do get a lot of comments from women who are very concerned about gaining too much weight are very concerned about going off of their keto intermittent fasting diet or whatever, and what that means for them. And I, I understand, I understand that it's like, you're dealing with a lot. Um, however, I, I think that if there's one particular time to just like stop caring so much about adhering to a protocol or, you know, your identity that's connected to how you eat and just like eat the way your body is telling you to eat it's during pregnancy. So how did you manage that with twins? So like, like anything else, if your cravings are telling you, you need ice cream and Doritos, that's probably not something you should honor, right? But if your body's telling you you're hungry, you need to eat, okay? So the same thing holds true, you know, in terms of like building muscle. When we tell people what the body needs in order to be able to build muscle is more amino acids and more calories. You need more food to do that. You are literally growing a whole human. You're making a human. And if you are not consuming it enough to actually grow the human, your body's going to take it from you. Yeah. Okay. So what does the body need to actually grow something? You know, first of all, you need healthy fats for your hormones to function properly. You need amino acids because that's the building blocks to build something. And in terms of carbohydrates, you need nutrient dense things that will allow the right hormones to put stuff where it needs to go. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So it's about nutrients. It's not about macros. Mm-hmm. So if you are craving something that's your body telling you it's hungry for nutrients, you know, do you have enough protein? Do you, I mean, and I don't, if this is where I think this stuff gets lost for the trees, like anything else, honor that hunger signal, eat enough protein until you're not hungry anymore. You know, look, I'm not going to say I didn't have cravings. Of course I did. I may have had a couple extra nachos. That was always my comfort food, Mm. you know? So I bought those Sieti chips that weren't full of garbage. 
And I had some um, that, oh, is it, I think it's Kerrygold, that like grass-fed, like aged cheddar cheese. I would sprinkle a little bit on there and it had that crunchy, salty. I think there's, there to it was really the salty things that I craved. I really think my body needed those electrolytes. So I started honoring that too. You know, look, you can get back in shape after the baby's born. What you need to focus on is nutrients. So this fear of gaining too much weight. Look, I definitely ate more with my two babies, yet I gained less weight. Mm-hmm. Okay. And what I mean by I ate more, I just ate more than I normally did when I wasn't pregnant compared to my first two babies where I was using it as an excuse. You're not, li- you don't literally need to eat twice as much. Mm-hmm. That baby's not your size. You're not feeding to, you know, however, you know, whatever. If you, if you weigh 150 pounds, you're not trying to eat to serve to 150 pound people, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. You're eating to support yourself and for this growing little mass. Mm -hmm. Right. So you do need to eat more, but you need to lean forward into those foods. So the same thing holds true in pregnancy. You need enough protein, adequate protein to support repair and growth. You need healthy fats for brain function, for energy, for proper um, hormone function, Mm -hmm. cellular wall integrity, all of that stuff. So don't go low fat, please. But don't necessarily, you don't necessarily have to be mainlining butter in your coffee either. No. Right. Make them whole food fats and just add enough fat so that your food tastes good. That's a pretty good mechanism. And then in terms of carbohydrates, just make it whole food form. Yeah. Whenever possible. Right. It's really easy to just sit down and eat an entire bag of chips. It's really hard to choke down four sweet potatoes. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, and th- but these are all nutritional guidelines. To, I give all of my clients, regardless of whether they're pregnant or not. Right. Mm-hmm. right. So as when we're pregnant, we just need to bear in mind that we need enough extra calories that we could probably just evenly divide amongst those macros to support this growing fetus. Mm-hmm. And your body will tell you when it's enough. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and most women find at the end of their pregnancy, a lot of that extra weight's water. And you're going to lose a lot of that once the baby's born. Huge. I mean, I, for my part, and again, I feel like numbers, just like how much you weigh doesn't really mean much, how much you gain or lose. It's like, that's not really helpful for other people, but for perspective, because I, again, I have a lot of clients who are very concerned with getting their body back afterwards. And I don't want to negate or dismiss that concern. Everybody wants to feel good in their body. They want to recognize their body. They want to feel like themselves. I get it. I certainly was concerned like near the end when my stomach was out to here. Cause I'm the same as you. I had a big baby. I'm not a big person. I was like, Mm -hmm. how the hell is this going to come back into place? Right. Um, but even, you know, even then I was like, okay, well, we'll just like play this out. I'm not going to be too concerned until later, but the baby comes out and people are like, okay, what's the diet? How do I get back onto whatever? And I will tell you like, and I have, you know, I want my clients and the people that I care about to worry more about their healing and their um, health than what they look like always. But if you're going to keep caring more about what you look like, I will say for my part that the fact that I took it slow healing wise, that I took it very slow getting back to the gym and that I took it very slow. I'm still not even there in terms of like restricting diets, my diet for aesthetic purposes. Like I ate and I ate and I ate, 
that is what helped me yeah. lose the weight quickly, feel better quicker so that I could get to being back in my own body. Like I think that people's type A obsession with perfection and getting back on the diet and bouncing back and getting into the gym is ultimately in many cases, what slows people's progress. And I can't stress enough. And I don't want to, I don't want this to come across like braggy. Like I barely tried and I, I bounced back because that's not the story. The Mm -mm. story is that I did not prioritize bouncing back. I prioritized healing my body and eating enough so that I could feel as good as possible, as quickly as possible. And that's what I did. I did not diet. I I still am not dieting. I did not go back to the gym until maybe three months after, even though I healed quite quickly and I felt Mm -hmm. pretty good. I purposely went slower and more conservative than maybe I could have. And I truly believe that that is what made me lose all the the weight really quickly, including a lot of that water weight because I was pregnant in July. So, you know, Mm -hmm. I was swelling near the end of that. Um, but I just, I want people to like really take it in. Cause I feel like there's again with, with women, we have this like, well, that works for other people, but for me, I'm going to continue to punish myself because I think that's what works. I think that's what works for me yeah. is restriction and punishment. And I just want people to know, like, this is such a, a temporary, unique, incredible time in your life. Don't punish yourself. You're going through enough, like just nourish, just eat, just sleep and go for walks. Like you will be amazed at what that can do. Right. Mm -hmm. And the other thing, and I want to ask you about your, your postpartum sort of nutrition and healing, but people I think don't realize, and I don't think I even knew this, that, that generally speaking, the guidelines are, especially if you're breastfeeding, you need more calories in that initial postpartum period than you even do when you're pregnant. So people think, okay, the baby's out. Like I can just get back to my low carb one meal a day business. It's like, right. actually, especially if you're breastfeeding, you need to eat even more and you're going to be starving. Your body's going to tell you. So yeah. how was it for you when the babies came? Yeah. So look, I mean, for, so I had gained about 50 pounds with the, with the twins. And when I went back for my, whatever it was my, my first appointment with the doctor, however many weeks that was six weeks or whatever. So first of all, I couldn't work out because I had a C-section. Okay. My doctor's like, yeah, no, you're not working out. You're not lifting anything with this C-section. Um, but I had law, I had gotten back down to my initial weight at the, my very first. Okay. So I wasn't complete. So I had probably gained about five pounds or whatever from pre-pregnancy to when I had my first doctor's appointment at six weeks or whatever, because I was starting hormones are changing. Mm-hmm. So it was a little bit off, but I had gone from where I was back to where I had weighed in at my first doctor's appointment in six weeks without any exercise. Mm-hmm. And to your point, I don't want to highlight, I did nothing. That's not it. Mm-hmm. I held true to my omnivorous, nutrient-dense, whole food diet with adequate protein, healthy fats, enough carbohydrate for to fit my energy needs. And it took, it was nutrients. When I focused on nourishing my body and the nutrients, it thought was fine. And again, ladies, you are not going to get back down to where you were pre-pregnancy completely until you stop breastfeeding. Hello, all of that milk in your mammary glands has weight. So can you give yourself a break, please? If you're still kind of off a bit while you're still nursing because you're you're carrying your baby's food. Really? You know, and so to your point, like you have to allow your body to heal before that's a trauma. It's a natural trauma and all women's bodies go through it. But again, think through human history. Every woman that had a baby was supported by that tribe. 
right? Every woman postpartum was supported by every woman that was in that tribe to help her heal and support her baby. We don't have that anymore. Let your mom come over, assuming you get along with your mom or your mother-in-law or whoever it is, right? Lean into other mom's groups because this kind of communal tribal nature support is so important in being able to put yourself in your right mindset. And here's the other thing I will tell you. If you've got a colicky baby, a baby who doesn't sleep, you need to focus on your own nutrients and your own mental health and self-care as well. That baby will respond to your own feelings that you you're just, you're emanating it, right? It's coming from you in waves on you being exhausted and tired and depleted because you haven't taken care of yourself. A happy, healthy baby needs a happy, healthy mom. Mm -hmm. And you've got to take care of yourself. So please don't expect you to get back down to pre-baby weight, particularly if you're nursing Mm -hmm. for a while. Mm -hmm. That is not fat. Yeah. That's food for your baby. That's a misconception too, because there is sort of that old tale of like, well, if you breastfeed, the weight will just come right off. And there, I mean, again, there's, there is that reality of you're burning more calories when you're breastfeeding than if you weren't, but that doesn't mean you're just automatically. And some people do some people, like I've had some friends who are naturally lean people who are like, I I'm having trouble keeping weight on because I'm breastfeeding like crazy and I'm not naturally a big person, whatever. Our bodies are all different. Don't assume because you're breastfeeding that that's going to make the weight fly off of right you know. yeah. but 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 it it does help get rid of the the weight you want to lose mm-hmm. by breastfeeding for that reason it does mm-hmm. increase but but again some women find that they have a hard time producing enough milk if they're not eating enough others don't have a problem a lot of this is just sort of genetics and epigenetics at work based mm-hmm. on past choices you've made or you know past family members have made that have been passed on to you mm-hmm. so take a deep breath Focus on what's within your control. Focus on actual nutrients because what you eat is what your baby eats. Mm -hmm. Do you want your baby eating Doritos? This whole like in order lactation oatmeal cookies. What? I'm sorry. Women have been breastfeeding for a millennium without oatmeal cookies. You don't need that. You need enough nutrient dense calories for your body to produce milk. You need to send the hormonal signal to your body that it is safe Mm -hmm. in order to be able to support the life of another human. Mm -hmm. I love it. That's your job. Let's, because we could again, talk all day and I would love it, Mm -hmm. but let's dive into, we've got some questions from listeners and I wanted to have your input into some of these as well. So we'll see how many we can we can cover. Um, one question we're talking a lot about like nourishment, um, and making sure that you have like literally the building blocks to support growing a life. So one question I have from a lot of like the more kind of carnivore ancestral paleo, let's do it naturally kind of folks is about prenatal vitamins, prenatal and, you know, postnatal, um, and how long you need to take them and stuff. And I don't think we need to get into like prescribing, like, here's what you should take, but like, what are your thoughts on sort of a prenatal supplement? And, you know, cause I personally have heard that, especially for women who are not 22, that we should be like preemptively taking prenatals for years to like build up this sort of like nutrient store, which of course I'm saying like eat real food. Hello. Yeah. Like eat, yeah. I've been eating, I was eating liver every week and I'm pretty sure that's why I got pregnant immediately. Um, cause I was just my body had the nourishment that it needed, but what do you, what do you think about prenatals and, and taking it afterwards too, while breastfeeding? Yeah. Well, so again, 
when you're growing another human being, your need for nutrients increases. <clears throat> so if you're, if you have a tendency to take a multivitamin anyway, I think that makes sense. If you're the kind of person that feels as though I can meet that need with just real food, um, I, th I think that's fine. But here's the thing. It's kind of like, do we really know that what we know about our soil is mm -hmm. broccoli doesn't have the same nutrient density it once had, for example. So I, I don't think there's any harm in, in eating a well, taking a well-formulated, particularly whole food based prenatal vitamin. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't think it's going to hurt, hurt you in any way. And ins most insurance covers it anyway. Right. Um, I don't, I don't think you're going to be doing yourself any harm to just kind of shore up any gaps, but there's, there's lots of different sort of organic and more, more natural solutions at a, a local health food store. Um, mm -hmm. and again, like I said, I don't always trust that, um, the new, you know, the foods I'm buying today are as nutrient dense as they once were. Yeah. But I do agree with you. I, I think liver and, and organ meats are like a vitamin in and of themselves. Mm -hmm. You know, the biggest thing that they're concerned about with, with a lot of these things is like iron and folate and, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of these minerals and a lot of it's because the typical American diet is not, it's not like mineral dense. It just no. isn't. It's processed food. So if you feel as though your diet's fine, you know, whatever, maybe you can have a blood test on. I mean, yes. but, but if, if it's just as, easy to find a high quality prenatal vitamin that you believe in and feel comfortable with. Yeah. Why not take it? Yeah. It's insurance. Yep. Yeah. yeah. I, I completely agree with you. I started taking a prenatal when I became pregnant, not before, because I literally yeah. was like, Hey, you want to maybe get pregnant? And then like two weeks later we were <laughs> pregnant. So I didn't really have time, right. but you know, again, the biggest issues you're saying there's folate, there's iron, you know, people talk about iodine too, all mm -hmm. of these, these key minerals that you're probably not getting a lot of that are very important to this process can all be found in things like liver, meat, eggs, um, oysters, shellfish, things like that. Like these super nutrient dense foods that again, is an insurance policy. It's like, if you're eating that kind of food regularly for your life, always for your own health, that is also going to be the stuff that supports a healthy environment for pregnancy and conception and building a baby. So, um, yeah. yeah, those are things to consider, but I did take a, and, and another thing too, people complain about sometimes with prenatals that it can like sort of the, the iron and stuff, like it can make people constipated and can make you feel bad. And like, I understand that. Like I had some unpleasant digestive issues, I think in the first like trimester, yeah. but it's like, dude, you're going to have all kinds of fun right. pregnancy related symptoms, regardless. Like if you want this insurance policy, it's like, you can find yeah. ways around well, that. And to look, I mean, my mom was um, severely deficient in iron <clears throat> when she was pregnant with us. And her doctor's like, you either need to take iron shots or you need to start eating liver. That's what the doctor said. She's like, liver it is. So yeah. she learned how to, she found a pate recipe that she loved and she ate that and problem solved. There you go. Yep. Far more bioly available, probably. Exactly. Than mm -hmm. Yep. That's the other thing is like this stuff, you're probably going to be absorbing it better from food, but yes. Yeah, so find, find, you know, there's, there's lots of different options out there. Find something that makes you comfortable, but don't, don't, that's your insurance policy. Don't do that instead of eating right. good food, I right. think is the message. Exactly. Um, question about postpartum survival tips around food. So, you know, there's lots of conversation on the internet. You Google like, you know, postpartum freezer meals and things. And you, you just kind of talked about the lactation cookies that are kind of silly, but, but what are some things that you ate 
um, or maybe meal prepped or like made sure you had, or had other people make for you in the postpartum phase that you found beneficial? Oh my gosh. So I, I cooked once or twice a week. I just made boatloads of it and I got comfortable eating the same thing a couple Mm -hmm. of days in a row Mm -hmm. to just for sanity reasons. Right. And I also, I just had a lot of um, single ingredients foods that I could throw. I I mean, the the picnic plate became very popular in my house where I always had hard boiled eggs. I had olives. I had vegetables that I could dip and guacamole. And a lot of times my meals were that they were these snack plates, which I loved because I could have some smorgasbord. It was like my own little bento box at Mm -hmm. home of a bunch of different things. So look, ask for help. They, there are now a lot of great meal delivery companies mm-hmm. that um, provide nutrient-dense whole food meals. Factor 75 was one that had just come on the market at the time when I was pregnant with them. But there's a lot of them out there now that you can certainly do. Um, you know, I mean, I had a lot of well-meeting neighbors that brought me like tuna casseroles and stuff that I accepted graciously but didn't eat. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I just... I, I made things that I knew I could make in bulk and that I enjoyed eating and I wasn't going to have a problem eating them three days in a row. And guess what? I also found easy recipes that my husband could make. Yeah. You know, let him step in ladies because they, he sees how tired you are, um, and that you need help and let him help, you know? Um, and so I gave him some recipes. He asked me some questions and he, he cooked these things too. But again, it was, let's double the recipe and, and just get comfortable eating. It's a, it's a survival mechanism. Will will it always be that way? Look, a lot of times I do that now too. Mm -hmm. I work a full-time job. Yeah. I've got, you know, two kids. I coach at the gym. I have my own coaching practice. It's, I kind of kept that habit up because it just makes life easier. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And again, going back to the, the husband thing too, like, for the first few months, they will feel a lot of times helpless because you are doing the most. Like there's only all they can do if they're a good partner is support you because they're not going to breastfeed. They're probably not doing a lot of the, like every 90 minute wake ups, like you're, you're Mm -hmm. it for a little while and they can support you in a ton of ways. It doesn't have to be like, Oh, well, I'm not the mom. So I guess I'll just sit over here and see you when the baby's older, you know? Um, so they will feel helpless and like they want to do things. And the food prep thing is a massive part of it. Um, there is also a ton of, if we're talking about ancestral nutrition, ancestral wisdom from almost every culture that I could find in research that shows that warming warm foods, um, in the postpartum phase helps. And there might just be some I don't know, like ceremonial comforting aspects to this. It doesn't necessarily have to be like scientific, but a lot of bone broth, you know, obviously that's got every good, delicious thing that we need, that our bodies need. Bone broth is always a good idea, but especially in those sort of postpartum phases when you just need food that feels good and is warming and is comforting. Um, a lot of times, like maybe a big crunchy cold salad, isn't going to be it for you when you're right. starving and healing and whatever. So oh you know, like stews, you can make like bone broth and <laughs> stews with a lot of meat and vegetables. You can freeze that. You can make huge sort of portions of that. Um, but that's something I, I think these, about. I, I lived in a lot of omelets too. Like I am mm-hmm. ate breakfast for dinner all the time and eggs, eggs are super nutritious. Right. And then I began to just make those into big egg bakes. It was like a big mm-hmm. baked omelet in a, in a pan. And that, I mean, that holy cow, I could stuff that full of all sorts of different like meats and yeah. yummy veggies and herbs, throw some guacamole on there if I want to, um, you know, any, in, in terms of food aversion, some people find that, 
you know, they're just, they have an aversion to certain foods and stuff that I think you should kind of honor too. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're like, I just can't handle peppers Mm -hmm. (laughs) or Mm -hmm. I just can't, there's, there's something about what's in there that your body's like, no, thanks. I don't want that right now. And don't, don't force that, you know, Mm -hmm. but you know, cook wants to eat multiple times, uh, redefine what it means to be a meal. Like I said, or breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I had omelets for dinner a lot of times, or it was the, just these, a plate of hard boiled eggs. And I, I would just gobble these things together. And it just mm-hmm. felt like a really, like, even though it wasn't, not that it felt naughty, but these were foods that were ordinarily snacks for me, mm-hmm. you know, some jerky here, yeah. some, some fruit or vegetables, little guacamole, what have you. And, um, super nutrient dense. It was easy to throw together. I was able to keep it in my refrigerator without a problem. And I could throw it, throw it together and be- better yet. My husband could put it together mm-hmm. for me. Yeah. It, like it feels like a treat, not because it's unhealthy, but because again, we, we have these static ideas of what a meal looks like. And like right. dinner has to be this big chunk of meat with maybe some vegetables on the side and maybe like some kind of starch or carb. It's like, sometimes it looks like a charcuterie board, just eat exactly. the good food and it's delicious and it doesn't have to, it can be mm-hmm. breakfasted today. It can be whatever. Yeah. Mm. I like that. Um, okay. We've got another, I think this will be the last question tips for this is, we kind of talked about this, but tips for getting back to workouts while breastfeeding. And this person is saying, I train jujitsu and it's uncomfortable. Um, and I mean, I'll say for my part, like I'm still actually nursing. I'm 14 months in, we're only doing like morning and night. Um, Mm -hmm. and we'll probably it's, it's, I mean, he's a massive eater. So it's definitely more of like a comfort. Let me just have like a sip here and there. It's not like, we'll probably be phasing it out in the next few months, but I'm not in a rush because it's healthy. It's great. It's not interfering with either, either of our lives. Um, but I'll say like, that's part of the reason the first few months I wasn't trying to get into anything intense because my body is still figuring out what the hell is going on with everything, but also my boobs. I'm not doing any high impact, anything that's going to be uncomfortable. And it's important to note too. And I think you back me up on this, but the first few months of breastfeeding are very different than the next few months yes. of breastfeeding. So however mm-hmm. long you decide to do it, the first couple months are like a whole thing with, you mm-hmm. know, sizes changing and it's going to be probably painful and uncomfortable and you're figuring stuff's things out. Everywhere. Stuff's <laughs> leaking everywhere. And I mean, at least for me, like I had a pretty rough time, you know, I had a lactation consultant. I found it incredibly painful for a while. Like I really had to like grit through it, but I, I wanted to do it. And so I kind of pushed through it. Um, but once I got over that hump, which did take me months by the way, mm-hmm. but when I did like, you know, I'm still breastfeeding, but my boobs feel like mine again. Like I'm not, it's not a, a consideration that I have to have right. anymore. So eventually your body and your baby and your boobs will all come together. And if they don't, mm-hmm. that's okay too. But like, again, it changes mm-hmm. after the first couple months. It so does. Maybe don't, don't worry about doing jujitsu at eight or 12 weeks after wait until your body yeah. is sorted out. Um, and then then you can kind of, I don't know, get into it more slowly. But for me, it was really about not doing high impact stuff. Like I come from a, a CrossFit background, right? So I, I had my, uh, brief love affair with things like box jumps and burpees mm-hmm. and, um, snatches and stuff like that. And I still like, I did jujitsu as well. I like some of this very high impact stuff, but basically as soon as I even had like the faint, faintest inkling of a belly, I was like, my feet are not leaving the ground until <laughs> the foreseeable future. Like I wasn't jumping. I wasn't skipping. I wasn't doing burpees. I wasn't doing intense high impact movement. And I didn't do that for months and months and months postpartum. I didn't skip. I love to skip like double under skip. I love that as like a 
conditioning workout. I didn't try skipping until, I don't know, six months after. And I was fine. Like I was going to a pelvic health therapist. Like I was okay to do it, but I didn't, I didn't feel in my head. Like I wanted to do it. And I didn't, I, you know, I was just like, there's so many other things you can do. Right. So I guess this is a long winded way of saying like, there's always another, there's always an alternative. There's always another option to get the feel good endorphins and to go spend some time on your own and work out and do those things that mm-hmm. you need for yourself without <laughs> compromising your overall health, your comfort, um, your ability to do the other things you need to do in life. So I get it. If you like jujitsu, if you have an intense, uh, sport that you like to do, and you're going to have to take some time off, that's the reality of it. Um, but there are other things you can do that aren't going to be as uncomfortable. It's a phase it's, right. it's a specific time. You'll get back there. Just um, do things that yep. support instead of, um, you know, detract from your healing and your comfort. 100%. Look, if, if it's uncomfortable, it's likely because your boobs are rock hard mm-hmm. because it's filling. So, so to your point, your mammary, this is all an on-demand process once you get the hang of it. In the very beginning, you feel overwhelmed. Your breasts become super engorged if it's been too long. You start leaking everywhere. And so that's when women kind of pump or they're like, where's my baby? <laughs> I got to release some of this pressure in here. So it takes a few months for your, your, your breasts and you and your baby to get on the right schedule, an on-demand schedule that everybody's in sync and knows what's going on. So if it's still really uncomfortable right now, now is probably not the time yet. You can actually, you will be able to get into it because you're going to know your schedule and you're going to know when your baby feeds, your body's going to know when your baby feeds. And it will feel a lot less uncomfortable for you to be doing that and grappling with another person pressing on your boobs while they're all engorged. And yeah, so 100%, there's a time and a place for everything. And right now might not be that, but that doesn't mean you have to lose your conditioning in the meantime. You know, when it comes to fitness from an ancestral health perspective, the number one thing you could do is walk. Mm -hmm. Guess what? You now have a baby that you can throw in a backpack and do some weighted walks and start walking with that baby. Uh, If it's winter out, if you have a treadmill, you're lucky, walk up and down the stairs, walk around your house, do a lot of low level sort of aerobic movement throughout the day. When I had my, I would literally do squats (laughs) with my baby Um, just from my, just to kind of stay active and keep those muscles moving. But I wasn't trying to break a sweat. I wasn't trying to burn calories. I was doing stuff with my babies while they were awake. Because by the way, when my babies were sleeping, I was not freaking working out. No. I was sleeping. My, I mean, I'm sorry, ladies. Do not use nap time for your babies when you have are still trying to get by on four hours of sleep. Mm-hmm. Really, really not smart. You should be relaxing. You should be sleeping or laying down when your baby is sleeping. Get your workout in when your baby is awake. Throw that baby in a backpack. Mm-hmm. He or she wants to be with you, by the way. That baby's going to be a lot calmer attached to you. If you're out walking, I used to fold, I would throw my babies in the, even when I had two, I had literally two backpacks, one in the front, one in the back, and I'm vacuuming while they're awake or folding laundry and I'm singing to them. And by the way, your baby is calmer Mm -hmm. with all that background noise when it's awake and, and all of those things. So if I were to think and tried and true, like what I would call the sort of primal fitness pyramid, it's move a lot at a slow pace to just keep that aerobic baseline, right? Um, And then you can, as you get the energy to, and you have enough nutrients to, you can do some version of just baseline 
foundational movements, squatting with your baby, throwing, not throwing your baby in the air, but lifting it up and a little and, toss and maybe here in their nook. <laughs> whatever, like playing with your yes. baby, yeah. crawling on the floor, sitting on the floor, practicing getting up from all of that, right? Um, and if you, then when you feel comfortable and the boobs have settled in and you're not getting that huge engorgement and most importantly, you are well rested enough to take on the high intensity training, that's when you can add that back in. So in the meantime, do all the baseline foundational stuff that is integral to human health period and let your body tell you when she's ready. Yes, to take yes. this on again. You might be mentally ready, yeah. but I think a lot of that really from a psychological point of view, that's you telling yourself that's conditioning. that you should be mm-hmm. ready to do that. Mm-hmm. Mm-mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. If your body's telling you because my boobs are engorged that I can't do this right now, find something else. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I can't agree more. And it's funny because it can't be said enough how good and important walking is. And it mm-hmm. just as boring and like, you know, maybe half the people listening are like, here we go again. You're going to tell us walking so good. And it's like, it's really because it is so good. And like, I've had new coaching clients just recently, women, um, you know, over 40, uh, maybe in menopause and having experiencing this, like I'm doing the same things I've always done and I'm not feeling the same and I'm gaining weight and all this stuff. And they're telling me about these crazy intense workouts they're doing and these 1100 calorie diets they're on and they are exhausted and they're sitting for work all day and they're barely walking. And I'm like, okay, really, uh, unpopular advice time. Stop mm-hmm. doing 60 minutes of sprint cardio on a treadmill and go for a walk outside and eat more, obviously, but like mm-hmm. go for a walk, just, you're just yeah. go for a walk and like, nobody wants to hear it. And it does seem like a chore, but like, there are so many ways we can make it less a chore. Like listen to a great podcast, you know, have your baby and look at your sweet little baby when you're going for walks in those first few months, they sleep a lot, right? Like go with a friend, listen to some music, but like that's your exercise. That's it. That's your being productive. It may not feel like right. it because you're so used to these hardcore workouts, but going for a walk in the, those first few months, that's a very productive, very healthy thing to do. And it always is. So, um, 100%, yeah. you know, yeah. so please, please bear in mind that the life most of us are living right now, these, these isolated, I live in a box with my nuclear family lifestyle is not the lifestyle humans evolved through. So some real adjustments need to be made. I'm not saying you got to go live in a commune somewhere. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm, what I'm saying is lean into that tribe of people that know what you're going through, Mm -hmm. you know, and not only seek help, ask for it where you can. And if you've got the financial resources to find some convenience, I mean, I stopped going to the grocery store. I ordered everything online. It cost me an extra 30 bucks to have my groceries delivered. Again, not not everybody can afford the extra 30 bucks. Mm -hmm. I get that. Totally get that. So if it's not doable, awesome. Do you have maybe a family member nearby that can help do some shopping for you? Can your husband do the shopping? I know. I mean, I've sent my husband to the grocery store where he's come back and I'm like, that's not what I asked for, but it's okay. We're going to train him you know, let him do that. But the the fact, this all goes to environment and this is what health coaches do. 
Health coaches help their clients build a nourishing environment around them so that their body and their mindset can be successful. And so that means having a home chock full of nutrient dense, fresh whole foods. You know, that means finding time to move your body in a way that's going to energize it, not help continue to keep it feeling fatigued and spike Mm -hmm. continued stress hormone, right? It's about, God, just making sleep your job. It's your job to be properly well-rested. Your body's just been through the rear. Everyone, I mean, don't get me wrong. There are those women that have the easy pregnancy story that I'm just like, but the number of most women I talk to, they're, they want to tell everyone their first birth story because it was so transformative and it was like a battle, you know, in getting this baby out and what, what that experience was like. This was, your body needs to heal from that. It's why typical like tribes, women do not have babies back to back. They don't have babies every year. They have babies maybe every three, every four years, because that's how long it takes your body Mm -hmm. to really heal properly. Mm -hmm. A great book is uh, Dr. Dr. Kate Shanahan's first book. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, Gosh, why am I drawing a blank on the name of it? Um, I'll get it for you, but but she talks a lot about these. Oh my God, fantastic. And talks about the nutrient density of animal foods and organ meats and fresh vegetables and how most ancestral communities, again, the mother is supported by the community and pregnancies are a few years apart. You know, now we're in this lifestyle where we're trying to crank out babies close together so that I don't have to be inconvenienced by being pregnant for too long. Mm -hmm. You know, um, so you're going to, in order to not have that experience and having babies at a later age, you're going to sacrifice something else in the meantime, in terms of the current stress and all the things you're trying to juggle. So where you can find the support, whether it's by with people or by spending a little extra money for these resources that are now available, you know, lean into that. Mm-hmm. But focus on nourishment, focus on foundational movements in a way that help provide positive energy, sleep like it's your job, and learn to say no. Mm, that's, a to other, say no that's a whole other podcast. To, oh my gosh, to things that just don't serve you right now. There's always going to be time for that. Now's not the time. Yeah. I think that's a great place to end because if anybody takes anything from this podcast, it's that last bit. Um, And I love what you said, like the way you said it, this health coaching, what we do is like help clients create a nourishing environment. I really like that. That's simple, but it's a really effective um, visual for me. Um, Laura, thank you so much for, for chatting with me and, and talking to me about this. Cause again, now that I've gone through it, it's like, it's kind of all I want to talk about. So I appreciate you, you humoring me on that one. Um, where can folks follow you, learn more about you? Are you taking clients? Let's go I'm taking clients. So, um, you know, I have a, a, a small business. Um, I'm on Instagram at just coach Laura.fit. Um, I have a, just a private Facebook page. I don't use social media to sell stuff. My, my social media accounts are just me mm-hmm. living my life and, and kind of walking the talk here and what I work my clients through. My website is coachlaura.fit, which I just got to notice something happened there. I've got to, I don't know if I, my credit card expired and I need to switch it out, but I got to get it back online. But um, I do have a website that is there just so that it's a landing page and people know I'm legit. Um, 
I have, I'm working on rebranding my entire program. So anyone that's coming to me right now, it's just one-on-one you and me kind of private coaching. Um, and I've got my group program almost ready, but, um, yeah, but just reach out to me either through messenger or, um, and my email is just coach Laurel Rupsis at gmail.com. Great. Thank you. I appreciate your time. Let's do yeah, this again sometime. We can talk. We, like I said, we could do a whole episode on uh, learn to say no, because that's a great health habit as well, I think. Oh, yeah, I would agree. It's a tough one to learn, but yeah, eventually I learned it. it. <laughs> Thanks, Laura. You got it. Bye.